How is technology changing you? Is it any surprise that in a swipe right culture that we tweak and polish our online profiles to present our best selves? That we literally put ourselves out and put more out than maybe what we should because we have this innate natural brain that wants us to be shopped and to be liked more than other people. As a matter of fact, it's researchers tell us it's much like going to the store and buying a TV. That when you go to the store and buy a TV, they have that back wall and all the TVs are back there. And, you know, we start off saying this is what we need. We just need a basic TV that you can turn on. And if you've got kids, you don't even need a remote, right? And so you go to that first one and you look at it. And then all of a sudden you look at the one right next to it. And it has a remote. And you think, ah, there's days that my kids aren't there. And they're going to leave. And, and we want that. I don't want my kids there just to be the remote. And so then you move to the next one. And then you think and you look and you're like, wow, you know, I can go from 25 inches to 35 inches and everything would look so much better. And then by the end of the experience, you're down at the very far end and you walk out with the most expensive one because along the way you've convinced yourself that just a little bit more is better. And that researchers tell us we actually do that with our online profiles, that we begin to look at other people's profiles and we're like, yeah, that's good. But you keep moving it along the way further and further and further so that when people see you and the world that you've filtered for yourself that you look better, you're the 120-inch high-def, full-on, it changes itself when you talk to it TV instead of the one where you've got black and white and you're a little flippant. It's got UHF and VHF. And it's because we want what's best. And so we just present this better profile. As the Jeffersons would say, we're always moving on up, right? We're, we're wanting something better. Researchers have told us that this is why dating profiles, online dating profiles, are rarely true. That when we present ourselves on an online dating profile, usually we're a couple of inches taller and we're either 5 to 25 pounds lighter than what we really are. Because we craft an online identity that coincides with the mental mode of what we want to put out for other people. When we do that, what we're saying is, this is the best self that I want to be, and so we're putting it out online so that that others will see who we think we are inside. It also impacts our offline behavior. Narcissism, anyone? I mean, this is the, the thing of we, it begins to change us in how we think and that we do things differently now because we're always consistently thinking of our online profile. There's actually boyfriends that their total role is to take pictures of their girlfriends and to put them online. That that's their role, and they've they've taken that in. And so this is we're shaping our lives around an online presence. One of the things that we don't even realize is that we have this notion and this desire to always make perfect choices. That we always want to make the perfect choice. Now, some of us struggle with it more than others, but there's this innate desire to always make the perfect choices. And we struggle with our appearance even being good enough. And so that's why when you take a picture of yourself and you're thinking about, or your kids or whoever, and you're going to put it online, you think about which filter would make this look best. You're constantly going through it and you kind of find some of you spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes or even days before you post that picture because you have that has to be perfect when someone looks at it. And you're filtering our lives around that. It's because our brain and our heart want to belong to a group of people. 
God has created us with this innate desire that's called the social brain, and we fall into a comparison game. And the online social media world feeds that for us. And so where before, maybe it was just something in school where you would walk in and you'd go, oh, nice outfit, and you would maybe try to go the next few days and find a better outfit for yourself. That has magnified online, and so now we're constantly and consistently comparing ourselves, and we have to make the perfect choices because if we don't put the right filter with the right light, with the right um, outfit, then people are going to be judging the decisions that we've made. How has technology changed you? It's changed us. It's made the way that we think and deal and impact with people radically. Again, that video that we just saw, most of you are in here going, yes, you're shaking your head and punching your spouse or your friend going, that is us. That has been us at times and in seasons where we are so in tune with the smartphone that we have in front of us that we lose the fact that we're not present with the people that are actually there. That it's easier for someone to get in touch with us through a phone than it is actually someone across the table and to have an in-depth conversation. This morning, as we continue that thought of asking the question of how is technology changing you, I want to add a little bit to that and ask the question, how is technology even changing or impacting our understanding of what friendship is? You know, now friend is a verb, to friend someone or to unfriend someone. Is, is something new. We haven't even thought about it. It's now a verb. You can unfriend or friend. And some of you need to unfriend some people. Some of you have been unfriended, and maybe you need to bring in some friends. Again, researchers tell us that our social media highlights the fact that we want and cherish and need connection and community. But we've devalued friendship. What is naturally for us a about five people in our life are our support group. So when you think about that, who are the five people that you're, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe your mom, or your dad, that they're there for you, they support you, they care for you. Those are the five that you can call. But then you have about 15 that are in what they call the sympathy group. Those that will, that will know that you'll call and be able to say, hey, this is going on. And they'll, they'll feel for you because they know enough about your life. And then you have from there the 150 group, that if you were to have a wedding or whatever, those would be the people that you would invite. Some of you are audacious, and you invite like three or 400 people to your wedding and thinking you've got all those friends, and they're getting those wedding invites, and they're like, <laughs> I'm not going to their wedding. But we, there's, in the naturalness of us, we have about 150 people, and then about 500 to 1,500 acquaintances. One of the jokes at our house is that my Rolodex, if you all know what a Rolodex is, a Rolodex is full, and so whenever I meet new people, like I have to take little cards out of my Rolodex because I'm inviting new friends in. That means other friends have to leave, you know, and so people that you know and acquaintance. And, but apparently my wife has this Rolodex that just keeps going. And so we'll go from place to place, and we may show up in a town we've lived in before or be at an event or something like a wedding, and we'll show up. And I see faces of people that I know that if I... If the wind blew right, the Rolodex card would fall back into line and I could find it. But the ultimate Rolodex is standing there next to me, and I'm like, who is that? And immediately you could just see the file. And it's like, that's John, that's Sally's kid. They have these kids and this and that, and they're married to these people and all this. And I'm like, I just need the one name, just the one name. 
They're coming at me. They're coming at me. And like immediately she's like, that's Jason. I'm like, oh, yes, Jason, how are you doing? Long time. I've been keeping up with you on Facebook. That's all. You know what I mean? You just those kind of things. And, and we think that we can maintain all of these acquaintances and relationships and you can't. As a matter of fact, even the other day at HT Fitness, I was working out and somebody walked in and they're like, hey, and they know you and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, awesome. That's great. And as soon as they turned around to the other place, I ran to the computer monitor, because I know that when you do the key fob, it pulls up, and it pulls up your picture and your name, and I'm like, oh, dude, how are you doing? I won't tell you who it is, and like, oh, yeah, awesome, and so then that triggered all of these things that I know, but it's just like you can only keep so much in your brain, but what we do with social media is, with what natural friendships are of the five or the 15 or even that less than 150 is on social media, we try to groom and keep in contact with 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 friends, and we just cannot do it. And it's impossible for us to do. Adults, one of the things we get on students for um, their social media, and we're on social media as much, if not more, than they are. And one of the interesting things that we're finding out is as adults, we actually engage social media in a less healthy way sometimes because we are pursuing friends relationships instead of core relationships where students have a tendency to focus in on their core friendships. So when they're texting, Snapchatting, Instagramming, it's their core friends and they're doing homework, they're doing, they're planning out whatever chaos that they're going to create. But for us as adults, we're actually not doing that. We're trying to connect with an old friend from high school or college or somebody used to work with that really doesn't want to do life with you anyway the first time. Why would they want to do life with you 15 years later? But it's because we think that we can groom these continual relationships because we think the more friends, the merrier, or the more acquaintances, the merrier, when the reality is we're actually just wearing ourselves ragged. Instead of just focus on the ones that are present and do relationship deep with them. The best model for friendship, obviously, is God. And so what I want you to get is this, is that God desires a friendship with us. When you look throughout the scripture, there's this idea that God wants to be a friend with us. It even tells us that Abraham, and in particular Moses, that they were called the friend of God. And the reason that they were described as a friend of God is because they had this personal relationship with him, and it was a back-and-forth type of thing that was unique even from some of the other characters of the Old Testament. And so that's that, that beginning idea. But you even see it in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, that through Jesus, we are made friends of God. So not only does God desire a friendship with us, God initiates that friendship with us. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. I'm going to read from the message, which I don't normally do, so it'll sound a little different, but I think you'll get it. God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death, while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Some of your translations will say enemies, that we are, we are actually enemies of God before we become his friends. And that the reason that we're able to move from enemy to friend is because of Christ's death, his blood sacrifice on the cross. If, when we were at our worst as an enemy, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we're at our best, now 
Best is in light of our relationship with Jesus, not because we've achieved anything. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. In other words, that as we become a friend with God and we understand that friendship, and the longer we are friends with someone, hopefully we get to know them better. And so in this passage, Paul is telling us that we have moved from enemy to friend, and that as we develop that friendship with God and we get to know more about him, we understand the resurrection life. And that as we understand the resurrection life, a life of victory, then those things that tie us down to the old ways that made us the enemy of God are no longer of value and of worth and no longer have an appetite for those things. And that allows us then to even want to spend more time with those friends, with that friend named Jesus. Why? Because that relationship with Jesus as a friend is life-giving to us and empowers us and gives us strength. And we, we're, in char- we're charged up from our relationship, friendship and time with Jesus. Now, all of us can admit we have friends that we love, but they suck the life out of you. Because every time that you're around them, it's about them and all that. And so all you know, like you walk away and you're tired. That's exactly the opposite of the friendship with Jesus. That when you spend time with Jesus, even if it's some deep, soul-searching time that you're with him and you're sharing all whatever is going on in your life, you walk away encouraged and empowered because he's life-giving to you. He's not going to suck life. He's actually going to impart life. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5 in the New Living Translation. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Through Jesus, we are his friends. For God so loved that he gave us Jesus so that we might have a friendship with him. Well, what does it look like to be a friend of God? So God's friends have characteristics. Whenever people say, hey, I'm a friend of his, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, then there should be over time, the more time we spend with him, there should be some characteristics of him that begin to develop in us. So Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17. It says this, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the first thing. The first characteristic of looking like and being a friend of God as we develop those characteristics is we're going to begin to love. To love as Jesus loved to lay down our life for other people. Inconvenient, sticky, messy, the most difficult times, it's going to be the 2 a.m. calls. And that is in those moments when you begin to question, where do they fall in Dunsbard's numbers of friendship? Are they an acquaintance of 500? Are they a part of my 15 or my 5? And don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Because you've gotten those calls and you're like, how much do I love this person. You may not say it that way, but that's in your heart and in your mind. You're thinking this is going to be inconvenient. My time. It's going to cost me money. It's going to. And so what you're doing is you're asking the question of how much do I love this person and how much am I willing to lay down for them? Jesus says here, John tells us that we should just throw that to the wind and say, you've called. I'm Batman. I'm going to answer that it doesn't matter what it's going to cost me because it didn't. It cost you everything and you still, while I was an enemy, 
came to my rescue. And that that's what it looks like for us as friends of God to take on his characteristics is that someone calls us and they say, hey, I need you, that we drop everything and we don't even count the cost. We just run because our God is an extravagant God and that we in modeling that want to be extravagant as well. Even in Matthew chapter 22, a verse that if you've been around church long enough, you know that it says to us that to love God is our number one call. And how do we show that we love God? By loving our neighbors. Even when we may not even like them, or they're not in our deal, that our call is to extravagantly love those because that's how we're imitating him in that way. Look at verse 15 of chapter 15. I no longer call you slaves... Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love one another. Look at verse 14 before we go on. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, the second thing about a friendship with God is that people are responsive to him. Now, if someone says that they love you, they can say it with their words. But if their actions don't follow when they ask you something or ask something of you, then they don't necessarily, you you question whether they love you. So one of the things at our house is that sometimes my wife asks me to do things, like take out the trash. And sometimes it's the most inappropriate time to ask, like 3.30 on a Sunday afternoon during a cowboy game. Because one of two things are happening. I'm either watching the game or I'm napping in the midst of the game. And so if you're asking me something during that time, you are not going to get a good response from me on whether I love you. But there are times in our house where we've had deep discussions over whether I really love my wife because at 3.30 in the afternoon she's asked me to take out the trash. And on Tuesday at 5 a.m. the trash is not out there. And so that the naturally the thought is my husband heard me and did not respond, therefore he does not love me. Are y'all following me? Okay? And so the same thing is true in our life, is that there are times that God asks something of us, and as his children and as friends of his, we should be listening and respond to that. Not necessarily because we fear punishment, not even necessarily even because of obedience, but because we love him and because he has been responsive to our needs. And it's this relationship of trust of, listen, I know that God loves me and he's asking something of me, and I want to respond to that because I love him and I want him to know that. Now, yes, is obedience a part of it? Yes. Is there possibly consequences if you don't? Yes. If you don't take the trash out on Tuesday at 5 a.m., guess what? The house is going to stink because the trash is going to keep building if you don't get rid of it. We need to be responsive. So the characteristics of God, one, is to love others. Also is to be responsive to others and to show that there's a response to love. And then also we see this idea of that we're no longer slaves, but we're friends. And so slaves or servants are actually at the dinner table. They're the ones going to and fro or responsive to orders, but don't get to sit down at the table with the master. That we've been invited to sit down at the table and that we're friends. And so the discussion that's going on is this deeper discussion of the mission of God. And so as the friends of God, we're actually sitting down at the table and God's sharing the strategy. God's sharing the details of his mission. And as friends of his, we're in on the details. 
where the servants go to and fro and may hear bits and pieces but are always on task of other things, we now get to sit down and to be in the presence of God and to dine at the best and to eat the best and to hear. But the most important part of that dining is that we're able to sit down and to listen to the conversations. And I don't know about you, but most of the time when there's food around and people begin to to fellowship together around food, people begin to laugh, people begin to tell stories, people begin to, and all of a sudden there's something and you break down and you can get through months and years of discussions and getting to know someone over a cup of coffee and food. Relationships grow faster over the dinner table. And so what Jesus is telling us here in John chapter 15 is you've been invited as a friend to the dinner table, not just to enjoy the bounty of God's stuff and food, but to hear and to be in on the conversation and to get to know me and my heart and my mission even better than you thought possible. So how do we grow that friendship? How do we grow it? John chapter 15, the first part of it tells us, remain. Remain. Remain in me. Some of your passages may say abide in me. And I will remain in you. In other words, this is this idea of lingering. When's the last time you have lingered? That you didn't go from appointment to appointment, that your phone didn't ring and a notification come in that you had this or that, but that you just lingered. That you showed up at someone's house and y'all had dinner together and yes, on your appointment it said from 5 to 7 and that's probably the practical thing to do is to leave at 7 because your kids are going crazy and you want to get them to bed by 8.30 or whatever. But that you just lingered because the fellowship was so good you did not want it to end. That's this. Jesus says, linger with me. Fellowship with me. Be in such desire to just be in my presence because he wants to linger with you. We're the ones cutting the appointment short. We're the ones getting up from the dinner table and saying, hey, it was good, but I've got to go to the next thing. Jesus says, man, let's, let's do a cup of coffee. I've got dessert. And you're like, ah, I'm watching my way. Whatever it is. And we move on. And Jesus is saying, linger with me. I am your friend and I want to develop this friendship on a deeper level with you. How is your technology impacting your life? Maybe turn off your notifications. Maybe turn on and do not disturb and just linger with him. Linger with your fellow friends. Invite people over and have linger parties. People are like, what is that? That means we don't have a timetable. We're inviting people over. The house is even messy. And we're just going to linger together and do life because that's how Jesus met us and the messiness of our lives. And we're just going to live that together. If Jesus is your best friend, linger with him. He chose you even when you were his enemy. And he sat, invited you to the table, just linger. So here's, I've got something for you, some challenge to help you have dominion over technology. If you remember a couple of weeks back, what we talked about is that as 
as part of creation, God gave us dominion over all of creation, including our technology. So we actually can't control it. I know it doesn't feel like it, but we can't control our technology. So I want to give you some tools to do that. One, so pull out your phones. I know you have them with you. Go ahead and pull out your phone. And um, one piece of technology that's good and healthy for you that you can have, you can read from it, you can listen to it, it can give you daily devotionals or whatever, is um, version. Y-O-U version. There's an app you can download to your iPhone, and Lord forbid some of you have Androids, but I'm kidding. Whatever smartphone you use, download to it, all right, and use it. Then also another tool that we give to you free as a church is called Right Now Media. And uh, again, there's an app. You can have it on your phone. You can put it on your iPad, your laptop, or whatever, Right Now Media. So go to rightnowmedia.org um, if you don't have that. And what you'll need to be able to access that for free is you'll need to send us an email this week. So find one of the church emails on your program or online and uh, say, hey, I want that Right Now Media thing. And um, it is considered the, um, it's a huge database, a Netflix, a Prime, whatever you want to call it, um, of Bible studies and all different kinds of guys and, and ladies in Bible studies. You want that. And then finally, a little plug for ourselves, our Church Center app. And um, you can download that as well. And on the Church Center app, you can actually check your kids in at home before you even leave the house with great hope and expectation that some of you know that you're not going to be here at 9.30 or 11 to check your kids in. And so to save yourself a step, you can check them in while you're driving and come in and scan that code, and it will print off the deals. Um, You can give. um, Your tithing and offerings can go through that. You can actually check into your life groups or find a life group, all kinds of different things that, that for us, and uh, even register for events and things. So um, that's our app that you can connect with us and um, send us notes and all those kind of things. So technology can be good resource, but you have to be reminded that you are have dominion over it. You are a friend of God. Would you linger with him this week? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your friendship. May we linger with you. Father, you have given extravagantly so that we can have a friendship with you. Father, may we model your friendship. May we love well and extravagantly. May we love even when it's inconvenient. Father, may we just be friends to each other and linger with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.